Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. If you would, be turning to Philippians, the fourth chapter. In just a moment, we'll be studying out of the book of Philippians. And if you want to borrow a Bible that's there in the pew and study along in it, it'll be on page 1044. 1044. We won't have slides, so I encourage you to open there. Most of the text that we'll mention tonight will be right there in that one book. And let's open up and let's study God's Word together. We are blessed with so many that do whatever it is that their ability is to do whenever it's needed for the glory of God. And we are so thankful. Uh, this is, many of you know, we've been having some problem with our sound for about a month now. And uh, Doug Williams came in this past week and worked a lot of hours. And, and hopefully you can tell a difference and they're still trying to fine tune it. But uh, the sound is much better in this room right now. And we are so thankful for that. I know Hardison Moles also has jumped in and helped him a lot of those hours. And, and Hardison even met me this morning to do some fine tune adjusting. And, and when he did that, I didn't know he... He meant he's going to meet me like first thing in the morning. And I pull in the parking lot this morning at five o'clock and Hardison's sitting there in his car. <laughs> now that's dedication. And so we give a big thank you to those two guys. A shout out to Hardison. I think it's his birthday today. And uh, what a good way to start your birthday is getting up uh, way before daylight and, and serving God. Perhaps if we were to think about what is the Bible passage that is the most often on motivational plaques and posters and, and just seems to be written at all the places, it'd be interesting if we just took the time to say, what do you think it would be? Well, you know, one of the top ones would probably be John 3 and 16, but I would say that probably the most frequent verse that is mentioned out of Scripture in that motivational sense, plastered all over walls and keychains and wherever else, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what in the world does that mean? When it is on the side of a poster that has someone scaling a rock hundreds of feet above the ground. What does that mean when, when it's on a poster of, of somebody clearing a seven-foot high jump? What does that mean when it's a, a BMX rider 20 feet off the ground doing some kind of great trick? I remember even as a child seeing those kind of posters and, and seeing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me written on those posters thinking. So if I just believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I can scale that mountain? If I just believe it, I can make a jump like that on a bike. If I just believe it, I can clear a, a seven-foot high jump also. What does it mean? What about if we have the opportunity one day in heaven to sit down beside the Apostle Paul and say, you know, I believe that there was a verse that we used out of context a whole lot. Can you tell us what you had in mind when you said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Won't it be wonderful to hear his explanation? And I'll be honest with you, that's one of the things I'd like to just sit down and ask Paul about several things. And that would be one of them I'd like to ask, ask him about. Him but about, you, know but what? you know what? I'm not as curious about that about one that because, one because I, think I think that is, that is a type of summary 
of the entire epistle. I believe you can go back through and you can look at how Paul has already talked about all things. He's already talked about through Christ. He's already talked about who strengthens me. And I believe that in a sense, he is now just bringing this wonderful short epistle to a conclusion to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so tonight, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to think about these phrases particularly tonight. All things. In just a moment, we're going to look at Philippians, the first chapter, and study what does he mean when he says, I can do all things. Then we're going to go to the third chapter and see what does he mean when he says, through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. And then we'll go right back to this same passage here of Philippians 4 and 13, except we'll start at verse 11 and 12 and 13 and say, what does he mean when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Now, not that this is one of the main points, but let me begin with the phrase that Paul begins with. He does begin by saying, I can do. Isn't that beautiful optimism? Paul believed that God would allow him to accomplish. I really feel uh, a burden of sorrow for those that life has beaten down so much that they really don't believe I can do. And so I just want to begin this lesson by, by encouraging you. If you feel very discouraged, if you feel beaten down, I just want to begin with Paul's words, and I think you should be able to say those words. And I know on our own, none of us, if, if we say this apart from Jesus Christ, the truth would be, I can't do it. But with Jesus Christ, we can begin with those same words, I can do and so now let's go back, if you will. Philippians, the first chapter. Philippians, the first chapter. What is it that Paul could do? He says, I can do all things. Well, what did he have in mind when he said all things? And Philippians 1 and verse 20, at the end of the verse, he says about his life being magnified or magnifying Christ, uh, whether by life or by death. And I want you to notice as, as, as we're about to read this in 20, picking up in the middle of a sentence, he says in 20, according to my earnest expectation, which that's real neat by our theme this year, there's great expectation. And then last Sunday we studied about hope, earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So let's pause there for just a moment, and then we'll come back and finish these few verses here. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what does he mean by all things? I believe that Paul had, had put, if you will, boundaries in his life. And he was only going to do the things in his life that would fit into magnifying Christ. And so here he says, by the way I live, I want to magnify Christ. And when it's time for me to die, I want to die in such a way that my death would magnify Christ. Now, when you go over and read 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and you realize that that's the last chapter that we have written to Paul by inspiration, and it is about him making preparations for his death. He knows that he's in this holding this dungeon, whatever the cell was. And he knows that it's going to be cold when winter comes. And he writes in a way that it doesn't sound like he expects to escape this alive. And he says, I'm now ready. 
The time of my departure is at hand. And he speaks with such courage, such faith. He speaks, remember last Sunday, with such hope. God's going to keep his promises. And because he believes that God's going to keep his promises, there's a tone, a very strong tone of victory. You see here, earlier in his life, he says, let me tell you what I want to do. I want to magnify Christ, whether it's by my life or by my death. And we flip over a few pages in the Bible and you say, look, he's doing it. He's magnifying Christ by his death. And it's beautiful. So then we think about, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What are the all things that Paul could do through Christ? All of the things that he wanted his life to be involved in was anything that would magnify Christ. He didn't want his life being involved in things that would not magnify Christ. What about tomorrow? You and I go to work. And what about if we decide we do not want to be involved in anything tomorrow that doesn't magnify Christ? And so we step up to some co-workers and they begin to gossip about other co-workers. Are you going to participate? Or will you choose to say, you know, I don't want to be involved in anything that doesn't magnify Christ? What about whenever you go about your business tomorrow and you have the opportunity to do something with integrity or without integrity? What if tomorrow you said, you know, I can tell you which things I'm going to do. I'm only going to do the things that I can do that will magnify Christ. What if we go home and we interact with the people in our home and we choose the only way we're going to interact with them or we're going to do and say all things that would magnify Christ. Now I know that that's a, that's a simple principle, but isn't it profound? Isn't it beautiful? To be able to say, I want to do all things that will magnify Christ. And if it won't magnify Christ, I don't want to be a part of it. In, in Colossians, the third chapter, just hold your finger there. We're right next to it. Just go over a couple of pages in your Bible. It's this kind of thinking. Paul says this in different ways, but he's pretty much saying the same thing in Colossians 3 and 17 when he says, and whatever you do, think about that phrase, all things, whatever you do in word or deed, this is Colossians 3 and 17, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, Paul, are there things you could do that wouldn't give glory to God? And is, are there things you could say that would not magnify Christ? And Paul would say, of course. But he says, that's just the thing. I want to do all things through Christ. And so, sure, there's going to be a lot of things I could choose to do, but that's not my goal. That's not what I want to do. I want to do all things through Christ. What a beautiful concept of Christianity. Christianity is living a life where everything we do magnifies Christ. But he doesn't stop there. When you go back to Philippians, the first chapter again, notice there's one more like part B that he adds to that. And, and let's just read. We, we just read the end of verse 20 just a moment ago. Let's read a few verses. In 21, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He, that, that's pointing to that hope again, that victory again. Now he goes back to what if he stayed on this earth longer, verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, 
This will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Have a desire to depart, be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith. Simply put, Paul said, that part about magnifying Christ through my death, I realize if that happened right now that I would be better off if I was on with the Lord right now. But he said, no, if I stay in the flesh, what I want to do is I want to be able to do work that would lead other people and notice that in the progress of their joy of faith. In other words, he's saying, my goal is to magnify Christ. And if I live on this earth longer, I want to help others learn to magnify Christ. What a beautiful concept. If at this time, the Lord is, is ready for my life to be taken, I want it to be taken in a way that will glorify him and magnify him. All things, life or death, all things he wants to be able to do through the strength of Jesus Christ. I can do all things, and now let's think about the next, through Christ who strengthens me. Flip over to Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter. Let's begin reading at verse 3. And he says, <clears throat> For we or of the circumcision, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And keep in mind, what we're about to study is that Paul chose to live his life through Christ. Everything about Paul's life was to live through Christ, not to live in a way that you would, he would supposedly say, through Paul. In other words, my life is not about let's exalt Paul. Let's make Paul look good. Everything in his life was, is this how I live as Christ? My life through Christ. So let's continue reading. Look at verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. And I, I've shared with this before, and we're not going to camp out on this tonight, but we need to be very careful about talking about self-confidence. And I know it rubs people the wrong way. Trust me, when I say it, people comment later to me about how concerned they are that I say, it. we're gonna hurt our poor children is what I always get told. Listen, I'm just giving you what scriptures teach. Secular speaking, the idea is if you want to grow healthy children, you teach them to have self-confidence. Spiritually speaking, if you want to be healthy yourself and grow healthy children, you teach them to find their confidence in Christ, period. Does Christ say this is a good move to make at school? And if Christ says it's a good move, you take your stand there. And it doesn't matter if nobody else takes your stand there, you stand right there by yourself. Are they going to mock you at school? It doesn't matter if they mock you or not. You take your stand right there with Christ. Are they all going to stand with you? It doesn't matter if they all stand with you. You still stand there. Not because everybody's standing with you. You stand right there because you're standing with Jesus Christ. And we can say all of that about us in the workplace and us with our neighbors and and adults and everybody else. Our confidence, our identity, who are you? 
We are to be people that does not find our identity through our flesh. We find our identity through Christ. We find our confidence to stand, form convictions, be strong, not because we believe in ourselves. Well, I believe it because my mama told me I could always do anything I want to do. Yeah, fly. You can't do everything you want to do. Nobody ever has been able to. And you know what? The people that believe that, life comes and knocks them down and they figure out, I can't pick myself up. But there's one who can. There's one who can pick you up. Do you have your confidence in him or do you have your confidence in yourself? Listen, Paul doesn't mince words when he says, I don't have confidence in the flesh anymore. And he says, but if you want to go to verse three, he says, if you want to have a bragging match, he says, just know this. And he's speaking probably especially to Hebrew men. And he says, just know this. If you want to start bragging about fleshly confidence, I'll beat you. But then he turns around and says, and even though I could beat you, I don't boast in it anymore. My life's not about all of my Hebrew accomplishments anymore. Now, I know in our culture today, that list beginning at verse 5 may not. I know some of us know Scripture, at least to the point that we look at that list and say, that's impressive. And maybe some here tonight say, that list really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And all I'm saying in this is if we did understand it, he had a lot to brag about in the flesh. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal. Remember we talked about it this morning, what happens when you couple zeal with, with ignorance? You hurt a lot of people, what did he do? Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. The Jews before him were zealous and ignorant and they killed Jesus. Now he comes along as a next generation, if you will, of, of Jews and he gets all excited and zealous about his religion without knowledge and he persecutes Jesus's church. And so, but, but still, you see he was zealous persecuting the church concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But notice what he did in seven. He counted all these laws for Christ. Why would he do that? Because in verse 8, back to this morning's lesson about knowledge, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may what? Gain Christ. He wanted all things in his life to contribute to winning Christ. And if there were things in his life that would not benefit him winning Christ, he says, I'll take that old list of all things and I'll count them as rubbish. Now my life is going to be about all things that will magnify Christ, that will win Christ. And, and you know, this is a rich passage in par two paragraphs in a row here that are just amazing, and we can't break them all down. What I want to do is I want to read verse 10 and show, and us together look at 14 and then back, back to verse 10 again. And so notice this idea of living your life through Christ. And so here are three things that he wants to know to be able to live his life through Christ. Verse 10, I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. In other words, if we could say right there, Paul, you're saying so much, you're boggling my mind. Can you just streamline it for just a minute and kind of target it? What are you trying to say? Look at 14. I think this is where you'd say, okay, if you want me to get right to it, this is what my life is about in verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, everything in my life, I live through Christ because I know that's how I'm going to win the prize of that upward call of God. It's in Christ Jesus. I am, that word press is interesting. It's the idea of suffering. Sometimes it's translated to mean following, but other times it's translated to mean persecuting. It is the idea of there is my mark out there And I'm going to press, I'm going to move toward the mark of Jesus. And I know it is going to require suffering and sacrifice. But that's how desperately I want this mark. That upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, how how are you going to reach that? And he says, this life I'm living through Christ, number one. Back to verse 10. I want to know Christ. We studied quite a bit this morning how important it is to have knowledge of the righteousness of God. I need to learn Jesus. I need to learn who he is, but then I also need to learn how he lived. I need to fall in love with him so much so that I want to live the type of life that he lived. But then notice second, he said, I also want to know the power of the resurrection. There are many things that are powerful about Christianity, but will you please pause with me for just a moment and reflect how powerful it is that we serve the one and only that has power over death. That ought to mean a lot to us every day. But it's days like today as a church family that that ought to mean a lot more to us. To realize that through the valley of the shadow of death for a child of God is not an endless journey that is a hopeless journey. But instead, it is a passage. It is a journey that the Lord says, I'll be with you. And when you pass through that death, I will be there to greet you on the other side of victory. Paul, what did you want to know? I can't, I can't tell you I understand all the reasons he chose to bring these three out, but just before he talks about his target of that upward call, he says, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I stand at gravesides, and I sometimes think how blessed we are as Christians to be able to know Death is not the end. I hope you know and you live in view of the power of the resurrection. There's only one that can give it. And it's worth living our life through him. But please notice that third one in verse 10. That third one was, it was interesting that he just didn't say in the suffering. He said, I want to know the fellowship of the suffering. 
usually we think of the word fellowship being very positive and optimistic, and let's just face it, most of us usually think of fellowship when we think deviled eggs and fried chicken, right? But, but isn't this interesting? You, the idea of fellowship is we are in this together. We're sharing in this. It's the same root that has the, either the, don't hold me, it's either the same root or the very similar root to even the word communion. The, the idea of communion is fellowship, sharing in. And so throughout the scriptures, we have fellowship of the gospel. We share in the gospel together. We have fellowship in service. We have fellowship in giving. Here, this is one we don't speak about very often. Fellowship of his suffering. Jesus Christ did not come to this earth and suffer so you won't have to. Instead, he came to this earth and suffered, leaving you and I an example that we should walk in his steps. Paul knew that. And Paul knew that to accomplish verse 14, I'm pressing. And he used the word for suffering there. I'm pressing with sacrifice, with, with a type of persecution. I know I'm going to receive it. I'm pressing, no matter what the cost, to that goal. If you're Satan, how do you defeat an individual that's not afraid to suffer and not afraid to die for the cause of Jesus. It's kind of amazing to think about, isn't it? A lot of the time, the time we do start bowing and giving in to temptation leading to sin is when we're afraid, I'm about to be mocked. I'm about to not be accepted. Or let's go to other parts of the world and are other centuries. But it's happening right now, even around the world around us. What about if all you have to do is deny Jesus and live comfortably or stand up for Jesus and be physically persecuted or killed? And Paul's answer was, I will live my life through Christ and I want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. Why, Paul? Were, were you just out to suffer? Now, I don't, I don't think that's what Paul was doing. I really don't. I don't think Paul loved to suffer. I think Paul knew this. I think Paul knew that apart, and this goes back to 2 Corinthians 4, a part of manifesting the life of Christ is to be willing to also carry the suffering and death of Christ. In other words, a part of Christianity is we're not ready to say we're ready for the power of the resurrection until we're also ready to say we're ready to carry the cost of his death. See how those two are linked together? The power of the resurrection, that's wonderful, but you can't enjoy that unless you're willing to suffer in the death of Jesus Christ. Now let's go and, and spend just, just the last couple of minutes here in the fourth chapter. Notice where we've been. I can do this, Paul says. I can do all things, Philippians 1, all things, magnify Christ in my life or in my death. That's the things I'm going to allow my life to be involved in. I can do all things 
through Christ. My life is no longer about, hey, let's exalt Paul. My life is about, let's exalt Christ. I'm going to press toward that mark. And there's some things I want to know to be able to do that. But then notice verse 3. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pick up reading in verse 11. I'd like for you to be looking for the word content and also the word learned. Now that I, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. Now what we're about to study, we have to take the time to learn. And the question is, who's, who's going to be the teacher? I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now let's think for just a minute. What, what is content? Sometimes it helps us think of some opposites. Let's think of maybe, and losing it, using it loosely here, but let's think of loosely some, some opposites of content. One would be, if, if you're content, you're not greedy. Another would be, if you're content, you would know peace. And so to not be content would have a kind of a, a restless heart and, and being about us instead of being content we're we're, we're not settled in, in the situation another bit of this not being content could also lead to to this idea of stirring up things notice he says it doesn't matter what state I'm in I want you to think situation it doesn't matter what situation I'm in I have learned didn't know this by birth I've really had to learn this I have learned to be content. I wonder who taught him. I wonder who gave him the strength to learn this contentment. Let's go ahead and read verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. I know, and, and notice he's going to do extremes here. I know how to be abased. And abased is a word for humiliated. It's the idea to be cut down. And he says, and I also know how to abound. And, and the word abound is, is to overflow, like opening the windows of heaven and blessings just poured out. And so think what Paul's saying here. He says, I've been humiliated to the lowest point. And I've had times where I just felt like I couldn't receive more blessings from the Lord than, than what I was receiving at that moment. He says, I've learned to be content in either one of those situations. He's going to continue here. Everywhere. Now, what do you mean everywhere, Paul? Well, you know, if I'm on a ship that's wrecking, if I'm in a dungeon... If I'm around Christian fellowship and we're having one of those great worship services and afterwards we're going to go have a great meal together and you just say, aren't these days the best of days? Paul says everywhere. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the situation, it doesn't matter where that situation leads me. Everywhere and in all things, now we're back to this, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. You know, those physical needs like hunger, some of us get grouchy, don't we? Some of us get ill when what we think are physical needs aren't being met. And Paul says, I had to learn how to deal with that. Like when I'm really, really cold and I'm in a dungeon and my blanket hasn't made it, my coat hasn't made it, he said, I've had to learn how to deal with being content when I don't have what I need at the moment. He said, I also had to learn how to be content when I have a lot more than what I need. Because think with me for just a moment. Where does our contentment lie? 
Does our contentment lie in the blessings? Or does it lie in the one who gives the blessings? Because if your contentment is only in the blessings, what are you going to do when it doesn't seem like those blessings are plentiful and you're in need? Now you're not content. So Paul said, I actually had to learn also how to have this godly contentment. My contentment is found in my relationship with God. Remember verse, chapter 3, I'm living my life through Christ. That's where I find my contentment. And so while I'm living through Christ, if I'm in need, I've learned to be content through Christ. That's what it all boils down to. Can I be in this dungeon and still live my life through Christ? Yes. Okay, I'm content with that. Can I be at this time where my life is abounding and still live my life through Christ? Yes, Paul says, okay, I'm content with that. And brother, I know it's, it's easy for me to stand here and say this, but I get it to say this. It's not that easy to live what we're studying right now. But isn't it wonderful that Paul spells out the formula? Listen, we don't need to be content in our huge IRAs and retirement and portfolios that are just running over. We need to be content with the Lord when they are running over and when the next crash comes. We need to be content when the doctor comes in and gives us the best of news and the worst of news. We need to be content when we're able to look around and say, you know what, we've struggled for a lot of years, but I think we're doing better financially now than we ever have. We can go on trips. We can... And we need to be content whenever we say, you know, I didn't think we'd ever get this low. I didn't think we'd ever see a time where we really, really have needs that aren't met. And Paul said, I know. It was hard for me too. Paul says, I had to learn it too. But he said, I've learned this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's going to be Christ who gives me the strength to have a faith that is greater than any situation I'm in. In situations of bounty, Christ, give me the strength to do the right thing. In situations of desperation, Christ will give me the strength to do the right thing. You study this beautiful book and the wisdom is just life-changing. It's eternal changing. Thank God for his word. Tonight, can we help you in any way take steps closer to that beautiful and awesome God that loves us so much? He doesn't promise that all seasons of life will be the same. He doesn't promise everything will always be abounding. But he does promise that he'll always give us the strength we need to find contentment through him. Are you living your life through him? Have you ever been immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins so that you can live your life in him? If not, why not tonight? If, if you know 
what the Lord expects of you. Why not tonight? Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you, you've lost sight of that journey. And maybe it's some of the needs in life that, that have weighed on your faith or maybe it was some of the plenty in life that's weighed on your faith. And it doesn't matter exactly what it is. The, what matters the most is that we get our focus right and we come back to living our life through Christ. Let's all leave here tonight being able to join Paul and saying, I press. I'll suffer whatever needs to be suffered. I'll give up whatever needs to be given up. My life's not about me anymore. My life, all of my confidence is about Jesus Christ. And I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If we can help you accomplish that in any way tonight.